instead of eight of them, or 120 of them instead of eight of them, but because God had come and burst the dam, and the darkness would no longer have the foothold. He would not allow it. And so we enjoy many things that were unthinkable to the people of Israel 2,500 years ago. We tend to think these are because of modern technology and the modernism that came and the enlightenment. Oh, da-da-da-da. Everything we see in the modern world is a direct descendant of the light of the gospel breaking forth and letting men actually be men and letting women actually be women so that the earth might come alive under reign and rule. It is the establishment of what was supposed to happen in the garden and Christ inaugurated it and set us free to rule and reign in ways that did not happen. And so we are now free in a way that no one in Israel ever knew. Christ's kingdom breaking forth. And so then what was the middle As John Piper says, what was the blazing center of that glory? It's the cross. How did Christ actually do it? What was the method? Well, before Christ, daily, hourly method had to be enacted in order for men to know the forgiveness of sins and be atoned for. And then Christ, He came... He died. And it looked as though the darkness won. Not only was he in the grave for three days, but remember, on the day he died, at the hour that he died, the whole earth covered in darkness for three hours. The temple curtain torn in two. And then bursting forth out of the grave. That's why Easter is this glorious up from the grave he arose, right? triumphant declaration that there is no darkness anywhere. Right? That's exactly what John says in his Gospel. Gives light to everyone. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming. It was coming. It was going to happen. And so for us, this Christmas season, for our lives... Do we give thanks for the fruit of the light of the gospel in ways that acknowledge the fact that we do not dwell in a time that is even reminiscent of the pre-Christ days? Because when people began to become Christians, we can argue till we're blue in the face whether or not Constantine was right to institute Christianity in the Roman world. I don't care. I don't care which argument you end on, how you feel about Constantine individually, what you think about Pope Leo, what you think about the schism of the East and the West Church. Here is the reality of that. Men were made Christians and changed the world. Over and over and over again, in small ways and big ways, God redeemed a a person out of darkness and set them into the light and they just went, I am going to make everything light because I... I'm lit up. This is what God has wrought. And He has done it, first and foremost, spiritually. We've talked a lot this morning about the physical 
light. But here's the reality. God does all of this physical lighting up of the world from the days of creation to the point of the Gospel just taking over the ends of the earth and making it actually a pretty good place to live in most places. Even poor countries, they have it pretty good compared to 2,500 years ago. That's because of the Gospel. But then what happens here is actually the significant piece of it. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And what does that light do for them? It peels back their own darkness. It removes their hearts of sin and gives them hearts of flesh. It makes them not dead anymore and instead alive. And it does it on a mass scale. And so the point is not to... We we flip-flop it all the time. Lots of good things happening, therefore we don't need Jesus. No, the, the reason good things have happened is because individual people have become Christians. And God has used them to upend the world for His glory. We ourselves have that same light given to us to celebrate the fact that we are no longer walking in darkness, but we have seen a great light. What do people who have been enlightened look like? We'll talk about that in weeks to come. But they look like people who don't stumble in darkness. One of the, one of the things that runs through our head often uh, when we interact with people, especially people who are not Christians, is how could they continuously make those same mistakes all the time? And really not mistakes, sins. Why, 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 why? How could they? They need the light. They don't see clearly. They don't understand. Deaf, deaf, deaf. They can't see the ground. They have no light. We have been awakened, our eyes opened, and the light shining. For us to sin is willful in a different way than it is for We ought to pity them. They are like those who stumble and do not have a light. One of the things that Jesus was known for is not is his pity for people. It wasn't that he didn't say true things. It wasn't that he wasn't enlightening them to their own depravity. It was that he actually pitied them in it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her brood. The Christmas season is a time that generosity is on full display. Right? Everywhere you look, generosity, generosity, generosity. Toys for tots, you know, backpacks from the police, all these things happen. Christmas tree giving, shoeboxes. That's all well and good. Do we pity those who walk in darkness enough to say there is a light? Or do we think that a shoebox full of goodies is all that there is? Have we mistaken the good that comes from the Christian who's converted for the actual conversion of the Christian? 
There is a phrase um, from a book by Fyodor Dostoevsky uh, from his book, The Brothers Karmasov. I read it in college and it was mind-altering for me. It is this. Love dies when it sees the face of a man. What does that mean? It means we are very glad to use the things God has given us to spread happiness to people. But when that person is right in front of us, stinking, smelling, stumbling, not doing well, begging, bad mistake, sin, horror, we think somebody else should take care of that thing. We gave to Toys for Tots. And some little kid got to open a nice present on Christmas, and so we feel good about ourselves. And we ignore this guy. Even though this guy is in darkness, and we have seen a great light. And we know that we would be like this person, stumbling, sinning, broken, failing, if not for Christ. God did not give us our light in order that we would withhold it, right? Man does not light a candle and put it under a bushel. So as we think about the Christmas season and what we personally have experienced, this unbelievable lifting out of darkness of our sin and our stains and our grossness and our stumbling and our inabilities, let's look people in the face and actually love individual people who actually need help in the moment, right then. I'm no expert at this. No expert. I could count ways that I have failed, even in my helping. Even when I actually do something, still screw it up, stumble along. The final thing then, Christ is the light of the world. He has overcome the darkness. There is much light to behold. We are participants in it. Are we humble enough to pray for ourselves and our church to be that kind of thing? Attracting the broken miserable, wretched, stumbling, stinking of the earth. Do, do we trust God enough to pray that on Christmas Eve, our church is filled with unmentionable people? Or would we rather our church be filled with nice people who kind of have it together? God did not send His Son into the world to save the righteous but the unrighteous. To spread light into dark places. Not spread light into places that think they can see. But miserable people. Broken people. Sinners. And so my final charge this morning then. As we pray for these sorts of things. As we even think about what it means for our church to grow. Are we willing to pray that it grows by way of darkness to light, 
and not by church transfer. Not that church transfers aren't wonderful and loved and great. But do we trust him enough to actually break ground into dark places in Jasper and make Christians where there weren't some? Because that will require us to work very hard. It will require more of us than we have. It will require more of ourselves than we can give. And at that point, when we have went beyond what we physically have, can say, can do, then we will be dependent on the Spirit to actually do the things He has promised to do. And our prayers will begin to take on a beggarly affection of God. A final passage then. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. This is Isaiah chapter 7. Ask for a sign of the Lord. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Wrong answer, Ahaz. And in Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, it is too little a thing for you to weary men that you weary my God also. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Will we ask God to give us a sign? As high as the heavens or as deep as Sheol. And will we trust Him that that sign will be a bunch of miserable, wretched, broken sinners in our midst? I think we ought to. I think we ought to ask for God to just fill our pews with the people who are miserable and broken and have no home here, who dwell in darkness. Because we have a light that can fix that. Not necessarily get them out of poverty, not necessarily fix their car, their soul. Their soul. They need light, first and foremost. And that light has to penetrate deep into the darkness and call them out of their miserable state. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing our final him. Oh yeah, communion. I would have seen it at some point, Sarah. Maybe. Uh, let me let me go down there. Sorry. Should be happy. I don't look down at the communion table while I'm preaching. Completely right over it. Um, here is a place where the light shines into darkness. Any of us who are honest. Any of us who are Christians and honest know that our heart, even now as a Christian, has great stores of darkness. Ugly stuff. Some of it we know is there, some of it we don't know is there, and it just comes bubbling out of us at times and catches us off guard and we just say, I'm a miserable man. Who will save me from this body of death? And then Christ came and he says, I will save you from that body of death. I will break my body for yours and I will spill my blood so that you do not have to. This is that. It's not a re-sacrificing of Christ. It's not a 
an actual re-embodiment of the crucifixion. What it is is a remembering time that we who once dwelt in darkness have seen a great light and do not dwell in darkness any longer, even when our sins seem to make the light go out. This is why we take communion, to remind ourselves that no, though your sins are as scarlet, you will be white as snow. And so it is a place and a time for us to remember that we are not once having been enlightened in no longer need of remembering our enlightenment. We have constant need to remember it because we're constantly failing. And this table is set for us as a church so that we would not be a light over here and a light over there. But what is light gathered together? A bright beacon of hope to people. And so we are one church. We are not many little pieces of light. We are one. Um, and so this morning, for us Christians who are about to take this, for us believers, this is not a supper for those who are still in darkness. For those who have not tasted the light, seen the light. For those who have not seen what is required of them by God. Because what is required of you and me by God is perfection. Total perfection. Not just no sin, right? That's one thing. Blank slate, no sin. But actually righteous, actually having done all that the law requires. That is what is required of us. And we have all failed in many, many ways. And so if our eyes have been opened to that truth, that perfection was required, we cannot attain it and have failed to attain it. And then we know this, Christ did attain it. He not only lived a sinless life, which we're told many times in Scripture, but He fulfilled the entirety of the law. He actually earned righteousness. He did the good stuff that the law required in addition to not being bad. And so when we eat and drink this wine, this bread, we are reminded that one day we will dwell in the light and the hope of Christ, who is our righteousness and our forgiveness. Therefore, in light of all this, examine yourself. This is how God works. Continuously, we're told in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, when the apostle says, Whoever eats, therefore, this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. How do we examine ourselves? What, what light do we have by which to see? It's God's light revealed to us in His Word. 
And when that light shines, all the dark crevices are revealed. And so this morning I ask you, as we are about to take, to examine yourself. Don't go another week thinking... Examine yourself. Know yourself to be a sinner in need of grace. Always, forever. This is why we have it. It's why we are reminded of it. So let us believe the promises of Christ. Let us hope in them. Let's examine ourselves so that we do not come unaware of our need but to come needy so that we might possess Him fully. We might partake in a way that's helpful to us this week. Let this be a clear indication of the promise of God to save us. Lift up your hearts to the Lord this morning. I can have the men who are serving to come. Go ahead and remain standing. I'm going to pray briefly. Father, we are need this morning, and we know that your Son is our only hope in the darkness. We pray, Father, that it would be helpful to us to take this morning. We pray that the broken body of our Lord would be a reminder to us that ours is not broken. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So our Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this bread, eat it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take as the men distribute, and we'll eat it together. Christ's body broken for you. Father, not only was your son's body broken, but his blood was spilled so that ours would not be. And he atoned for us. He made restitution, forgiveness of sins is found in his blood. And so, Father, we pray that you would see his blood this morning on our behalf. And that as we confess our sins, you would forgive them because of him. In his name we pray. Amen. In the same way, after supper, Christ also took the cup and lifted it up, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes. Juice is on the outer ring, or no, juice is on the inner ring, wine on the outer ring.
Christ's blood shed for you. If you'd stand while I pray and then we will sing together. Almighty Father, we are...